Thank you for joining us for another edition of Free Exchange. I'm Michael Jarr, Badger Institute Vice President for Communications and Government Affairs. As you are probably aware, college debt has been in the news a lot lately as Washington, D.C. politicians debate the pros and cons of debt cancellation or outright forgiveness. On May 27th, the Washington Post reported that the Biden administration is planning to cancel $10,000 in student debt per borrower. There are roughly 43 million student borrowers nationwide with an outstanding federal student loan debt of $1.6 trillion. The president's plan to cancel $10,000 in debt per borrower would cost taxpayers roughly $230 billion, according to estimates by the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Supporters of these measures argue that forgiveness would provide an economic boost, especially to lower-income families striving to buy a house or struggling to make ends meet. Badger Institute visiting fellow Scott Niederjohn decided to look into who would benefit from debt cancellation and who would shoulder the costs. Scott is a professor of economics and director of the Free Enterprise Center at Concordia University in uh, Wisconsin in Mequon. He has published more than 60 articles, monographs, reports, and curriculum materials in his spare time. He holds a PhD in economics from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and an MBA with an applied economics concentration from Marquette University. The resulting Badger Institute policy brief, uh, titled Forgiving Student Loan Debt, Who Wins and Who Loses, can be found at our website, www.badgerinstitute.org. Scott, it's great to have you on Free Exchange. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. So um, the media like to report that low-income families who might benefit from uh, loan forgiveness uh, really, really need the president to take action. And then we have politicians making you know, the same case. In, in March, uh, dozens of Democratic lawmakers in Congress wrote a letter to President Biden that said, and I quote, canceling student debt is one of the most powerful ways to address racial and economic equity issues. The student loan system mirrors many of the inequalities that plague American society and widens the racial wealth gap. So, the case is being made. Look, if we want to help, you know, poor families, disadvantaged, uh, you know, uh, people who have been marginalized, this is a great and simple way to do it. Just the president, with a stroke of a pen, can make this money disappear. As you looked into this, is that what you found? No, uh, to put it quickly, no. But you know, I, I think my first question really was, let's look at who has the, who took these loans out. Mm-hmm. Who are the borrowers? How much did they borrow? Um, and then even some things around, not only around maybe the incomes of the families that borrowed the money, but also um, what degrees did they achieve uh, with the money they borrowed? So I think part of it is just uh, collecting some facts. Um, and a lot of those were relatively simple to get because the Department of Ed does have a lot of data about the borrowers. However, they, they don't make it easy to find out sort of income levels and, and educational attainment, but thankfully the Federal Reserve uh, through their survey of consumer finances does that. So mm. once we have that data, um, your question can actually be answered, right? I think, before, but without the data, that question is really more of a, you know, it seems compassionate. Why don't we do it? It makes everybody feel better. Um, but really to me, once you look at the data, it's an incredibly inefficient way to help, uh, to help low-income families. It's, I would argue, unfair. Um, 
it's almost certain to exacerbate this sort of inflation problems that we're already uh, deeply struggling with in this country. Um, and the benefit really go to wealthy because it turns out that students borrowed most of the money. Um, so most of the student loan debt really has gone to more very affluent families. Maybe not surprisingly, that's, that's oftentimes who goes to colleges and it goes to the most expensive colleges. So to put it quickly, I think this is, is you know, inefficient, unfair, and actually might exacerbate income inequality rather than do the, do the solution that you suggested, which is that it might uh, narrow that problem. So as you dug into this, who does get uh, the, the, the um, who does receive and who holds most of the, uh, the debt? Well, the top 40% of income makers, um, so well, these are the, the two highest quintiles, as we call them, the top, uh, the fourth and the fifth quintile. And these are groups where to get in the fourth quintile, you'd have to have an average family income over $111,000 a year. To be in the fifth, uh, over $255,000 a year. Those two groups um, hold 60% of the debt. So anything you do to help to, in this area is going to be a, a massive boon uh, to those families. Um, and then beyond that, 56% of the borrowers, Michael, borrowed the money to either earn a master's degree, a doctoral degree, a law degree, or a medical degree. So this, this, that's more than half. Half the money went to people pursuing master's degrees or professional degrees, you might say. Again, those, that group nor the top two quintiles are not normally groups that we you know, target with federal subsidy programs. <laughs> right. But anything you do to forgive debt widespread across the, the whole, um, across all borrowers is going to certainly have the biggest impact on, on those groups because that's really where most of the money was borrowed. So and I it, guess it's, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it makes sense. I mean, if I uh, decided to go and get a bachelor's degree and then worked, went on to get my master's and then went on to get a, a doctorate, uh, you know, that may be seven or more years of uh, very expensive college. And so by the end of that, it makes sense that I would hold a lot more of that debt. On the other hand, it's uh, far more likely that I'm going to be working in professions that make it easier for me to pay off that debt. Yeah, that's exactly the point. I think that, I mean, that, that's why most of the people, I think, borrow under, under good conscience. They realize that <clears throat> higher ed still today, even with the inflated in tuitions, it's still a great program in terms of return because of the higher salaries you make when, when you do complete a degree. So, and those two, those groups I just talked about, I mean, lawyers, doctors, those aren't normally groups we're thinking they took the debt on a course, but they, they did that in anticipation of, of high wages and higher salaries in the future. Another 30% are bachelor's degree holders. So mm. the vast majority of this debt is held by people with advanced degrees, yet a much smaller um, you know, only 14% of all Americans have an advanced degree. So this really is a policy that would uh, really help sort of the most affluent and the most educated in our society. And the worst part about it, in my opinion, is this is not something that just goes away. It has to be paid for somehow. So it, it's paid for by taxpayers generally. Um, and that includes taxpayers who some, many, most didn't go to college. B, some who went to college but paid off their student loans. C, some who went to college but worked the whole time and didn't take on any debt because they did what many would argue was responsible. So how is it their job to pay for uh, the student debt of those who decided to take it on to go to college? So I, it, just, it seems that that's the unfair part, I think. Um, the inefficient part is that the, both, the benefits primarily go to those 
who are the least likely to need our need our help. So in, in making the case that we are um, trying to forgive college debt in order to primarily benefit those on the lower end of the economic spectrum, we are actually really foisting the cost of this on a lot of people who didn't attend college at all who are going to be paying the costs <laughs> for those who went to uh, a very nice university. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what we're going to do. There's really no way to even to even uh, hide that. And I was thinking about it this way. Think about two high, uh, two high school graduates. The one borrows thirty thousand dollars to you know attend a nice private university and get to get a degree. The other borrows thirty thousand dollars to invest in maybe a truck and to start a landscape company. Well. What we're really saying is we will forgive the debt of the one who went to college and then have it paid for by everyone, including the one who borrowed money uh, to buy the truck. Why is the one who borrowed money for the truck less worthy uh, than the one who used the money to go to college? I would say quite the opposite, in fact, right? It, it seems like um, it certainly isn't on the borrower who is trying to start a business uh, it isn't on him to pay for the college debt of other people's kids or other people that may be of his own peer group uh, that borrowed money for college. So it just seems to be an inherently unfair policy that, again, primarily benefits the most affluent in our society. And in the end, at the expense of everyone, especially those though at the, at the lower end who, who didn't attend college. And we're not talking chump change here. We're not, you know, whether it's the president's, you know, plan that he's kind of raised up the flagpole that, that would uh, initially cancel $10,000 in debt per borrower, which would total to, you know, $230 billion or you know, upwards of a trillion dollars if we just forgave everybody's debt. That is a significant amount of money. And at a time when we have massive deficits, massive debt already, uh, that is just adding a huge amount uh, on, on not only on current taxpayers, but on the backs of our children and grandchildren. Yeah, right. I completely agree. And, and, and in a way that's, it's, we could debate uh, spending government money on other kinds of programs that at least try to target those who are perhaps the most vulnerable or who really are having trouble struggling to feed their families, pay rent. That's a different thing, right? So if I'm about vouchers for those who truly are needy, that's a diff we could debate that. But that's not even what we're doing here. Here we're saying we're going to do this massive across-the-board forgiveness plan. You know, Senator Warren suggested fifty thousand a borrower. President Biden is a a little less aggressive and says maybe ten thousand per borrower. Um, but and this isn't this is happening anyway. Whether or not any of these plans get enacted, the Department of Education already has some administrative rules in place where they can um, they can cancel loans in certain situations, including when they deem the college to have been predatory. In many cases, these are for-profit uh, schools that are closed. We just had one this week, Corinthian College, where really by decree, um, the Department of Education is going to cancel 5.9, 5.8, I think, billion dollars of, uh, of a student loan debt. For students who did attend that school, in most cases, got a degree or, or earned credits that could be transferred. Um, and <laughs> Ironically, that school really went bankrupt because the federal government uh, really took them on uh, and uh, made it hard for them to continue to uh, operate. So, yeah, it, it just this is one of these things which I think is actually not a very partisan issue. I don't 
I don't think anybody who looks at it carefully as I tried to do and really tries to see who the borrowers are, how much they borrowed, um, what incomes they come from, uh, what educations they have, can possibly see this as an efficient use of government resources. So yeah, I, I, I don't, and then I think that is, it is a dicey, it, 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 it's a challenge when you can tell that the, the politicians also are a little bit careful what they say about this, right? Because I think people are starting to realize there's, uh, there's some unintended consequences here. It's, it's not just a freebie as, uh, as they yeah. like to pitch it. Um, you, you had mentioned uh, the president doing this by decree and, and, and Senator Warren. Um, you know, what, what we, you didn't really touch on this in your paper, but what is your thought on the ability of one person to unilaterally just erase millions of dollars of contracts and, and debts? Yeah, and there is some debate about what they really can do. You know, Senator Warren is confident the president could just cancel all the debt. Um, I think even President Biden uh, is concerned that would require more congressional action than what he's gotten. But there clearly are some rules that can be promulgated by the Department of Ed that allows him to do take certain steps. And um, yeah, that's concerning to me too. This seems like something that if we really, if we really, as a society, think that this massive student loan uh, debt level, which do does exceed essentially all debt in this country with the exception of mortgages. You know, there's more student loan debt than there is credit card debt or auto loans. So, and I, and I am sympathetic that it does lead to challenging family formation, buying homes, cars. I'm more critical though of on the higher ed side of how high tuition has become. And I actually think that a big problem, a big reason for that is because the government continues to increase their subsidies like Pell Grants. Well, that just leads to the universities raising tuition. They just want to capture more of it. So, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it's concerning. But if society decided that this is a real problem, then that's usually the place where the Congress uh, looks at some kind of a policy and has to get, you know, buy-in from the public and has to vote on it um, and has to be uh, transparent with what they're doing. And that's really not what we're doing here. We're really trying to do some backdoor maneuvers. And if you're going to be completely um, skeptical, like I am, I think it's probably a maneuver to try to increase some votes in the fall, right? Because I think it would be popular among young people. And there's a lot of young people who uh, have this debt and, and, and can vote. Folks, I'm interrupting real quick to remind you that productions like these are only able to exist with support from individuals just like you. If you find value in this program, we're hoping you may want to give just a little bit of value back. The Badger Institute is a nonprofit organization that strives to create opportunity and protect liberty for all Wisconsinites. We do not accept government funding and rely solely on the generosity of individuals like yourself to support our policy and advocacy work. To learn more or make a donation, visit badgerinstitute.org. It's funny, the uh, Washington Post article that, that talked about this uh, $10,000 uh, plan that, that the Biden administration is uh, kind of, you know, testing, um, acknowledged er pretty early on in the article that uh, the, 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 the sagging poll polling numbers that the president is, is experiencing and, and kind of loosely tied that to this, uh, to this concept. I, I'm really glad that you touched on the, um, the fact that the federal government is, is involved 
in a way that actually might be driving up or may have driven up costs for decades. Talk a little bit about that. Why, first of all, why the heck is the U.S. government involved in student loans in the first place? And what impact does that have on the, the, the marketplace of tuition and colleges and the choices that are um, associated with that? Yeah, and this, this is really pretty well established both by, uh, by academics, but also by a number of uh, studies by the Federal Reserve Bank. And it really is just a matter of, you know, universities um, generally aren't increasing the supply of seats available, but what happens is by students and families want subsidies to increase. Uh, I'm thinking primarily of the different grant programs we have, the Pell Grant's the best known one for low-income borrowers. And, you know, again, it sounds compassionate to raise that because it's basically, you have to be um, of a relatively low income to even qualify for the Pell Grant. It goes directly to pay university tuition for you. You don't have to pay that back. It's a grant, it's not a loan. However, uh, studies have shown uh, with almost, unanimity that whenever the federal government increases Pell loans, university tuition increases by about that same percentage. So universities realize that the, each student is going to be getting more money from the government to pay their bill. So in real terms, no real change, we can just increase tuition and capture most of that. So while there's lots of reasons for a number of reasons for college tuition skyrocketing, one of them being it being kind of an arms race these days of we don't we don't necessarily compete in higher ed on outcomes and learning, um, but we compete on amenities like rock climbing walls and beautiful mm -hmm. residence halls. So that's one driver of cost. But another clear driver of cost is that as the federal government gets more involved in uh, student loans or student grants, that that leads to higher prices because it leads to more demand for students to go and it leads to um, us, the higher ed side just capturing more of it. The, the history, I think, no, I'm, I'm not a, a specialist in this, but you know, the argument was that what, kind of what you started with, that you know, much of the returns to higher ed go to those that um, are more affluent. And, and certainly one, perhaps the strongest way to narrow income inequality to be worried about it is to help people uh, achieve more education, right? That is the biggest difference in incomes among people. Um, and I think a lot, I think higher ed can be the solution to many of these problems. If, if more poor students can finish high school and, and get degrees, um, that is, you know, a possibility to help us narrow some of our gaps we have in different ways. Um, but, you know, I think some of these programs, you know, well-intentioned programs sometimes have secondary effects. And this is a perfect example of that is the government's trying to help poor students, but in the end, their policy ends up driving up tuition for everybody. And and if I wanted to get a, a car loan, I would go to my bank. If I wanted to purchase a house, I would go to a, a private lender. Um, when you get the government, uh, you know, kind of the primary source for uh, uh, school funding, uh, it really again just distorts the marketplace. Yeah, well, they subsidize it, right? So they you know, they make interest rates a little bit lower. We didn't even talk about the fact that. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic and extended to the end of August of this year, we've not been uh, charging all borrowers of student loans interest. So that just is uh, another kind of handout we've given to students, even though, again, that's a hard, hard, hard one to justify when we've got this unemployment rate that's at record lows and people aren't working, yet somehow they can't afford to, to be paying uh, their student loan debt. So 
Yeah, when I think the government's gotten much like the mortgage market, they've gotten heavily involved in the in the student loan market, and that leads to all kinds of other sorts of incentives that were never what the programs were intended for. Yeah, and so just touching on that, um, in, in response to the COVID crisis, the federal government uh, basically put student loan payments on hold uh, starting in March 2020. The uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget estimates that, um, estimated a few months ago that by pausing those payments, the cost to the federal government, which is basically the cost to taxpayers, uh, has been over $100 billion that the government has foregone by, uh, by d- delaying those, those payments. Um, is there, I, I wonder, too, if there's not some, some moral hazard here. Uh, you know, so if, let's say that the government decides to uh, forgive or cancel a portion of people's student loans, wouldn't that be an incentive for me as a uh, student who's about to go to college to say, you know, I, I was going to go to this kind of, you know, mid-level state university, but I'm, I can afford to go to the top university if I can just count on the fact that if I clamor enough, you know, once I've graduated and get everybody else in my cohort to make enough noise, we can get our debt forgiven. And doesn't it just encourage sort of a, a risk-taking that uh, really isn't beneficial to, to either the student or the taxpayer? Yeah, I think for sure. And much like the, again, the housing crisis where, you know, if, if the government's going to, if you can't pay, if you can't pay back your mortgage and the government will just handle it for you, maybe we should just borrow more. I've actually heard some students around universities where I work and hang out who have suggested, um, even in classroom discussions, that if this is a real thing, if we're serious about doing this, then even if I have the money to pay the tuition, maybe I would be an idiot to do it. Maybe mm. I should just take the loans out. You don't pay the interest until you graduate anyway. So maybe I should give it a little bit of time to see if the government is going to pay this for me, even if I could pay my tuition. Maybe I should just put that in a little investment account, hold on to that, um, and see what happens. Because why why do I want to be the sucker who paid his own tuition when the guy sitting next to me in class is borrowing money? It turns out the government's going to uh, going to just wipe out his loans. And, and that, that was a, the sort of famous exchange that uh, Senator Warren ran into when she was running for president where a, a dad kind of said to her, what do you do for me then? You know, I, I saved the money and put my kid through an expensive private college. That, that's what you're supposed to do, you know, as a, as a responsible parent, if you can do it. What about me? How is this a fair policy? So, and I think what you, the same thing you said a minute ago, Michael, about the, uh, this loan policy we've had during the pandemic of not charging interest. Again, we just gloss over the fact that that has to be paid by somebody. And because you're not collecting it, it's just like everything you and I talked about early on about forgiving debt, forgiving interest over any time period is being paid for by lots of groups, including those who didn't attend college, those who paid for college on their own, um, those who worked weekends and paid for college or the guy who bought a truck, right? So that, that mm-hmm. the same group has to pay for that same policy, uh, which was supposed to be a pandemic thing and has gone on now for, for a really long time, including when the economy couldn't be stronger in terms of the job market. I wonder if there's a slippery slope concern here too. I mean, if, if the uh, government does go ahead and, and forgives a lot of this college debt, then as a homeowner, uh, you know, and, and Fanny, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, basically now hold an awful lot of uh, mortgage 
debt, uh, why should I not uh, start to reach out to my member of uh, members of Congress and say, hey, I'd really like for my debt to be forgiven too. And again, is that fair? If, if, if I've, you know, kind of scrimped and saved and, and purchased a, a $240,000 house and, and somebody else, uh, you know, next to me, uh, you know, uh, spent $700,000 on their house. And then we, um, you know, so I've, I've been responsible. Uh, I've taken a smaller house. I've, I've uh, tried to save and pay and put more down up front. They've just inherited a whole bunch of debt. And then they say, we want this forgiven. It, it seems like it's a, a pretty unfair equation. Or if, you know, if I buy a, a four-year-old uh, Toyota uh, while somebody next door buys a, a brand new Lexus and, uh, and then demands that that debt be forgiven, it just seems like I'm carrying a burden uh, for, uh, for decisions that, that I wouldn't have made, that they made. And it just seems like it really could become a spiral of just everybody saying, well, if you're going to, how do you, how do you, what argument do you make against forgiving my mortgage if you're willing to forgive some doctor's, you know, college loan debt? Yeah, it's never ending, right? In, in, this, in the housing example you gave, then people who decided to rent now are subsidizing loans for exactly. those. Well, I mean, it, but I don't see how that's really any different, Michael, than the student loan argument. Right. It just, on, on face, when you first talk about it, I think it seems like a compassionate program to help struggling people. Um, I think there is something to the fact that high student loan debt does cause other issues in our society, a delayed home purchasing, uh, delayed family formation, delay having children. Those are all probably negative things, but it doesn't mean the solution to that particular issue is to just widespread forgive debt. Because as you just illuminated, you can make that argument then for any kind of mortgage. Certain groups would benefit from that, of course, but others would pay the cost. We could do it for car loans. We could do it Hey, credit card debt, that's really hard on some people too. Maybe we could forgive that. I just, this just seems unlike a lot of things in sort of public policy and economics where there really are sort of two sides where you can see some interesting trade-offs. This really just seems like a bad policy. Uh, it's both inefficient, uh, it's unfair, it's really expensive. It benefits the people that we least need to benefit in many ways. Um, you know, I suppose somebody watching this could say, well, the solution then is to uh, only exempt student loan debt for people of low incomes. Uh, and I guess we could try that. But as I tried to say at the beginning, that's a very small amount of the student loan debt, it turns out. Um, you know, those, those in the first quintile, lowest quintile of borrowers, um, it's about 5% of the total debt. And the next quintile, it's about another... 12, 13%. So that's not what President Biden or Senator Warren are saying. They're saying they want to help a wide range of Americans. I suppose you can make a stronger argument for trying to target it to the, to the lowest income. But of course, what, what about the guy who's super close to that level and says, well, what about me? So this just seems like a slippery slope and not the best way to help people who need help. And we really should touch too on, on something you mentioned earlier, um, which is really on a lot of people's minds right now, and that's inflation. Uh, we are already feeling all sorts of inflationary pressures um, every time we purchase, uh, you know, ground beef or, or get gas or or try to purchase a house. Um, you know, how does this uh, exacerbate that problem? 
Yeah, man, you know, and inflation is this sort of tax that nobody votes for, and it impacts low-income folks the most as well. Um, I think sometimes that's hard to, to understand because we all face higher prices, but people of lower income spend all their income on consuming goods and services, right? They pay rent, they eat, they do some childcare perhaps, and that occupies all of their income. People of higher income do that stuff, but then they dedicate large amounts of their income to saving, investing. You don't have to pay inflation taxes, not the not consumption taxes on that. So the low-income people really are hurt the most by inflation. Um, and I'm not saying that this policy would be like a massive driver of inflation, but given how uh, how significant the inflation issue is right now, much like some of the other stimulus programs we had throughout the pandemic, where we either gave people direct cash payments um, or did some different child care, uh, I'm sorry, child uh, tax credit kind of things. I think almost every economist agrees that that has had an impact on inflation because it's led to more spending. People have felt much more affluent. Um, they've been able they've been able to afford uh, spending on things, uh, including a lot of luxury kind of goods or travel, things like that. But all those things are exacerbating um, the inflation thing across, across the board. So th while I'm not suggesting that this would be a massive driver, it would certainly continue to fuel inflation as, as this group of people would all of a sudden have, if, it, if it's Senator Warren's policy, $50,000 they didn't think they had before, that's going to lead a lot of people to say, okay, well, I, I can save some of that, but I can also spend a lot of that, right? That could be something I could use to buy a nicer home, buy a new car, go on a trip. So there's that, that kind of extra demand, uh, which I think we got too much of it from some of the prior pandemic-related programs. This would be just one more. This could be like a, a trillion-dollar stimulus program again, which is not what we're looking for right now, I don't think, given the current state of prices. No, I don't think anyone's looking for that. Um, we are again discussing uh, the, the paper by Scott Niederjohn, Forgiving Student Loan Debt, Who Wins and Who Loses. You can find that uh, at www.badgerinstitute.org. Scott, as always, great to have you uh, on our show today. Um, we look forward to continuing to do some work with you on uh, healthcare issues and uh, other economic issues over the coming months. Great. Thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure to be with you. Take care.